Welcome to another episode of the Pro Video Coalition podcast. My name is Matt Jepson, and I'm a DP working in Sydney. Co-hosting with me today is my good friend, Dean Frisky, a Sydney-based commercial director and longtime collaborator. We're joined today by Mark Toya, a director based in Brisbane and world-renowned for his commercial work. We'll be talking about Mark's debut feature film, a self-funded sci-fi thriller called Monsters of Man, which features some kick-ass visual effects and killer robots. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Sweet. Howdy. Good to hear you. Toya, are you escaping uh, that weather up there right now? I believe there's a cyclone circling in that area. Um, yeah, there is well north. Yeah, no, it's missing me at the moment, but it'll, um, I'm, I've just uh, left a little island paradise up there, uh, which I'm sure that's going to get affected pretty quickly over the next couple of days. Uh, but down here in Brisbane, I've, which I've just landed, it's okay. But I'm sure it's going to pour all over us, and I'm shooting next week, and it'll probably destroy our shoot. <laughs> like, like all that. That's never happened to, to you, Dean, has it? Never, never, no. I've, I actually haven't had too many weather days in my 20 years or 25 years I've been doing it. I think I've had uh, three, three in 25 years that have literally shut us down. Um, but, you know, it does happen. Never. Are you a um, are you a Queensland native? No, I'm a Kiwi. You're a Kiwi? Yeah, I'm from New Zealand. So, um, yeah, if you can hear a little bit of Kiwi accent, that's where it's come from. And um, yeah, I've been, but I have been living here for uh, for twenty five, uh, for thirty five years actually. I came over kicking and screaming with my parents uh, when I was around fourteen. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we can claim you as our own then, uh, until I do something wrong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason. Um... The reason why I wanted uh, Dean to be involved in this conversation is uh, Dean is a primarily a commercial TVC director, and uh, I'm a uh, my background is as a documentary and commercial DP. And Mark, as many people know, is a renowned commercial director as well. Um, and so, this being your first feature film, uh, feature you know narrative film, mm-hmm. um, this seems like an interesting transition. And uh, I, we have some questions from. The perspective of someone coming from commercial work that maybe enjoys narrative or wants to get into narrative and 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 how that transition worked for you. So, um, Dean, do you want to kick off some of these questions? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that well, let's start right back at the start. So um, you've been you've been at the top of your game for a while, and I'm just curious about the genesis of this? Is this one of these ideas that's been in the back of your mind that you've been writing for, you know, 20 years? Or was it one of these things that, you know, maybe three or four years ago you, um, you know, you wrote on an airplane or something, you know, just came to you and you went, yeah, yeah, I, I can make a feature film. Like what was, yeah, talk us through that. Um, yeah, well, look, uh, it was pretty much the latter. Um, I, I did always uh, kick around the idea of doing a feature film. But the more I looked into it, you know, from a, a business perspective, um, the more I walked away from it because I, I couldn't see a logical way of doing a movie without the ha- without the hangers on, as you know what I mean, the creative mm-hmm. hangers on. And um, and and also I couldn't see the um, I couldn't see a business side of it that was actually um, safe. Uh, so. As you both know, I mean, I'm sure you both 
know that, you know, with whatever you want to invest in, whether it's property or um, or anything, you're right, you, it, it, there's got to be a fair bit of calculation in there because you don't want to, you know, if you're going to spend a million dollars, say, on a house or an apartment block or, or a bit of property, you want to get some sort of return off at that investment over so many years, right? And um, you know, if you can pull five to ten percent out of it, out of that investment uh, per year, uh, enough to be able to pay its way, or at least pay off its its uh, its its loan that you might have attached to it over ten years, mm-hmm. it, it becomes then a calculated risk. So, from my point of view, doing movies, I, I always looked at it and I went, "There's no, there's no um, guarantee that you're going to make your money back making a movie." Yeah, and that's and that's a bit that that always pulled me up each and every time. I go, well, okay, where where is the? There's no calculus to it. There's no proven uh, way of making movies and getting your money back. There's no there, there, there's no solid ground for it. There's no foundation for for making movies. Uh, so every time I did it, I just pulled back uh, pretty much straight away. Once I started digging deeper. And and the, the other bad thing too is there's so many people I know that have made movies. There's so many commercial directors that have made movies. So many movie directors that have made movies. Yeah, um, and they're all still living under their mum's house, or the you know they're still paying back friends, and they've lost a bunch of friends and yeah. their investments. It's just, it's lots of a lot of them are not done too well out of it. You know what I mean? Uh, quite a few movies sitting on shelves. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and so what I've done, I, I sort of you, you've got you know even though. That, that the poor buggers have made mistakes doing it, and I may have made a big one out of this one as, as well. You've got to learn by other people's mistakes, and and um, and they've and you know the, all directors. Luckily, we all get on so well that they're quite open with sharing all those facts with you, and and where they probably made a mistake, where they went wrong, or who they uh, jumped in bed with, or what they could have done better. So you know, I, I, over the years, I've learned. A lot from those guys, and and we're all still good mates, and they're watching me right now go a completely different different angle again. Yeah, um, hoping that I either win or lose. I don't know what the, what their uh, <laughs> what their wants are, but um, but the thing is, the math for making a movie never stacked up. It's 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 a it's a it's a not a very reliable horse to be jumping on. So. From a uh, for this particular project, for instance, you know, did I think of it four or five years ago? Yes, I did. I was literally in. Uh, oh, sorry, I did have a couple of scripts beforehand that I was toying around. Again, every time I started doing it, I started changing my mind. This particular time, I was in Vietnam, and I had a friend of mine there. He said, "Look, I'll pay for it. Um, you make it." And I go, "Oh, great!" Wow, because <laughs> you know he was a wealthy businessman in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I was in the middle of doing a project with him, and he, and he, and you know, he trusted me that I could do a decent job. So, um, and he was going to go and try and sell the movie himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, what happened then is uh, we were going through it. Uh, he was moving to Canada at the time. Um, he had some financial issues. I'm not sure uh, what they were, but he rang me up and said, "Mark, I've got to pull out." And I go. Uh, okay, no, that's fine. I, I didn't want to put any pressure on anyone, mm-hmm. um, but I was, I was, I sort of had the wheels turning, you know. Um, and then my wife said to me, "Well, why don't we just do it ourselves? Because I've managed to keep the the value of this, the price of it down." Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, because we've, we've, my wife and I have been doing property for many years, yeah. And we thought, well, let's if we treat this 
project like we treat our property. Yeah. Uh, and we'll do the same way, right? We, we won't think of it as a movie. We'll think of, about it as a, as a piece of property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll try and sell it like a piece of property and we'll rent it like a piece of property. We'll do everything like we do normally and just treat it like a uh, not a, a, an emotional, creative thing that we yes. made, but more more like a block of flats. Yeah. Uh, so we went in with that angle and that's how we started it. And that's how we decided to make a movie. Wow. So... Was that less the like what I find fascinating about that though is that, um, like before that, did you ever in thinking about was that business the business side of it always on your mind, or were you ever thinking? I guess we should probably step back a second because you are a bit of a renaissance man, the fact that you can do. You do a lot of things. Like you're, um, you're a pretty capable person. Like you can, uh, amazing DP, great director, but you've got an amazing handle on post as well, and the things that you can do on your own. So, was when you were thinking about making a movie, was it also about being able to maintain control over that, as opposed to? I'm going to make a movie or I'm going to make a um, write a script or make a short or whatever and see what doors I can get opening up elsewhere so somebody else can pay me to make the movie. Was that ever a consideration or was it always I want to be able to maintain control and be able to uh, build on that investment over time? Was that always a consideration? Uh, it, it was a bit flexible at the start. Um I was open to outside investment, uh, but I, I knew every time an investor did want to come in, uh, all of a sudden they were th- thinking, "Oh, there's a part in the script I didn't really like." You know? Yeah, right. Um, there was this and that and that and this, and there's a spelling mistake on page thirteen and <laughs> um, stuff like that. So you just sort of like um, straight away I knew there was going to be a, a thousand more conversations put in place if I. That's an investor in at this point in time. Now, look, before I go on to I'm not saying that doing a movie with investors is a bad thing. If you've got no money, you want to get your project done, you've got no no other choice. You know, yeah. you want to try and get tax offset money, your tax break money, and then reinvest it back in your film or you want to keep it. If you want to get grant money from the state government, uh, you know, Adelaide or, South, you know, Victoria or, Queensland and New South Wales, they want you, know, you want them to inject into your project, you know there's going to be a lot of input, all right? Yeah, yeah. It's what it is. You know, are they going to say, well, you can't say that word and you've got to put an Indigenous person in it and you've got to put three females and you've got to, you know, it's all going to get washed. Yeah, and um, you're going to have to shoot a certain portion of it in this country or that country. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and gonna say, yeah there's going to be very Australian. You know, and the thing is that's what happens when you get free money, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, I've got a friend of mine doing that right now. He's going through. He's got well, he had a fantastic script, but now he's going through that channel. He's like every single page has blue marks on like all over it, right? Yeah, uh, every single page is you know you can't use that word, and he goes, well, that that word is what was used in those days. Yeah, but you can't say that word now. <laughs> so all all of a sudden, his his script and his movie is now a shadow of what it. Was what it was, 
and he's going to make it. Now the movies as well because you've got all these um, all this free money comes in and they demand certain things and all of a sudden his movie is now costing three times more than it should because of those demands. So the, right. these are the things, that, you, know, and there's, you know, there's a lot of hoops that he's jumping and he's going, but the sad thing is he's going backwards at the same time. Um, so I feel like he's, uh, I, I feel like, you know, if, you, if you've got the, the, the money stashed aside, that's fine, but make sure it, you don't put the house on it because you don't want to risk, you know, hard-earned dollars and not get your money back. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, before you take someone's money, you've got to look at all the byproducts that come from it, you know what I mean? And, and especially when you go to sell that movie, there's going to be a lot of pain after the fact, you know, after you finish the film. Or, you know, you finish the film, then people are going to get involved in the edit. They're going to get involved in everything. When outside salespeople come in, they might want to re-edit your movie and take this bit out and that bit out. And, you know, the the movie's quite quite a – when it's a lot of free money and people doing pre-sales and people investing early in that movie, you can guarantee it won't be your creative expression is what you wanted from the start of your project, you know what I mean? Yeah. It will evolve yeah. into something – Maybe completely different, and you will become you because you got you remember the only IP that you bring into it is maybe it's your idea, yeah, right. You've got a scriptwriter that's probably going to, you know, jump around and, and cause a bit of chaos. You've got investors that have a stake in the game. So what what happens is the director or the or the owner of that idea become the lesser part of the of the um the dollar equation so what happens is you, you might get people that come in with 90 percent or a whole bunch of investors come in with 90 80 100 percent maybe of your full total investment yeah. what is your investment in the film other than other than the idea all right so they have the right now to really dictate a lot about that film the way that film has to be made and sold because they are the ones that have put skin in the game You've only just put a little bit of an idea in the game. Yeah, you're essentially an employee from that point yeah, well, on. Well, you turn yourself into one pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> the so out. then, in terms of so, in with your with um, Monsters of Man, then do you feel that you've a hundred percent of your creative vision? Like that's that's you there. Were there any there were there any compromises along the way for you no. in your journey? No, I, th- I think the lucky thing about this whole pro- uh, process and the way we did this was I only had to answer to my wife pretty much. So uh, with my wife, she just said, you just got to make sure you don't go over budget. Well, you know, yeah. I went over budget because I changed my mind <laughs> halfway through. Um, but, but the thing was uh, I, I knew I only had X amount of dollars and a lot of knowledge, right? So I go, all right. I can shoot, I can direct, I can, I've got all my own equipment. I've, I know how to do post-production. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how to put this together pretty easily. And it's not like it, it's a – it might look hard to do from, you know, when you watch the movie, but the reality is after 25 years in, in the ad agency, or the, in the ad game making TV commercials all around the world with crazy deadlines, yeah. um, I knew how to put this together with one eye shut. So it, it, it didn't phase me at all from a production point of view, from a shooting point of view, working with actors, everything. I, I learned nothing new from it other than, wow, this thing can drag on, right? Um, so the, all my energy then could go 
the backside of it, which is um, uh, selling the film. And that's where I've put a lot of my mental energy is, all right, if I'm going to make this product, let's go down all these different traditional and non-traditional routes of being able to sell this movie because no one really wanted to buy my movie off me because I'm an, I'm a non-commodity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as a director, no one knows me as a, as a, as a, as a full-time um, independent film director or producer. Yeah. Um, no one wants to take a risk on you. They don't know who I am. So it's just. So like, I, this is before you'd finished making the movie. You're talking about this, this as a script. Before it, during it, after it. Yeah, right. right. Wow. Okay. Uh, so so just to be clear, you're, you're planning the distribution plan before you've even shot the thing? Yes. But I'm looking at multiple angles at the moment. So when we finished the film, um, we had some really good contacts, uh, you know, over the years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got sucked into oh, – not, I'm not going to say sucked in. I walked uh, handsomely into uh, – I met up with a, a really good lawyer, uh, in the States, uh, Stuart Rosenthal was the name is, and um, he's a uh, he's a bit of a, quite the player in, in LA. He knows everybody, right? Now he com- he convinced me in a, in a good way, and I'm not going to um, disrespect him at all because st- he's a great guy and a and a good friend, and, and we'll do business forever more. But anyway, he goes his way is the true Hollywood way, right? Yeah. So you get yourself the biggest agent in the land, and that agent. Uh, don't get the little agent. He said, make sure you get into the, like the top three or four agents in in America. They will then, because they know everyone, present your movie to the biggest players in Hollywood or the biggest distributors, which they did. So, so we pitched our movie to firstly our finished film or almost finished film, you know, to, to, to CAA, WME, um, I can't remember the others, but you know, all the big, the big. Um, uh, agents that uh, represent film directors and movies and all that. Yeah. Now they, uh, they it ended up being quite a bit of a, a, a little fight on it because people saw the movie and they went, "Wow, shit, that's pretty, that's amazing, uh, that's that's really good." Actually, where did this come from? They were really excited as well. They took it to market. Now w- these big guys don't need to go to markets right they don't need to go to CIA uh, to France or anything like that right yeah. this, this is the big boys club they just ring up their mates and go look like CIA for instance um, they have a huge theater in their in their offices in, in LA they invite all the major players they all come and watch my movie um, and it all looks very positive they literally stayed and they told me said most people will only watch five minutes and walk off they so they that people stay right to the very end and watch the whole thing to the end. They were like like really transfixed. Wow. They all came out, and then the bids started coming in straight away. Right, so mm-hmm. you know, there was the the two hundred thousand. We'll give you two hundred grand for America, and we'll give you three hundred grand, five hundred grand, a million dollars. In it was all getting beat around, um, <clears throat> and then we thought. Uh, but they, they were hoping that the movie was going to sell for like $10, 20000000 million, right, to some of yeah, these right. players. But see, the, what the bigger – this is where the, the problem stems, right, because I'm a nobody with nobodies in my movie mm-hmm. other than robots, right? I did have uh, Neil McDonough in it, but he's not a big enough player to be pulling big bucks, right? He's not Brad Pitt. Yeah. You know, as good as he is, as well-known as he is, as well-respected as he is, he yeah. still doesn't pull a dollar. 
I mean, a strong dollar. He just gives your movie some street cred yeah. per day, you know what I mean? Um, and, and I'll put him in movies forevermore too because he, he, he I, was, I, I yeah, great. really like him as an actor. He's a fantastic guy. He did a good job. Yeah. And um, and the thing is now after that relationship with him, working with him, he loved working with me also um, and now he wants me to do stuff with him, you know, because he's he just really liked the way we worked together. Yeah. And how fast I was. Yeah. And how good I made him look, you know, and that's an actor thing, right? Yeah. I want Actually, to and I want to, and I want it to be easy, and I want, and it, it's just got to be fluid. And we got on really well. So anyway, how many, that's story. How many days did you have with Neil? I, I only hired him for the day. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> for he, wait, what? Yeah. 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 And thought, oh, this is very ambitious. <laughs> you know, I didn't even start till nine in the morning because I was a bit jet lagged. You know, I strolled in, and then we. Um, yeah. And then we had a nice big lunch, and then and then we and we ended up shooting ten pages with without blinking an eye, you know. And uh, we finished them up at six o'clock, shook hands, put them in the limo, and sent them home. Brilliant. And he was he was like in awe. He couldn't believe it. he was ringing me on the way home. He was ringing me the next day, and he said that's the fastest, most efficient shoot he's ever been on in two hundred movies. You know. He, wow. He was like blown away, and he says the stupid thing is I look awesome in it, <laughs> and he <laughs> and um. And he's seen the whole film now and he's like blown away by even what we've produced. So now he wants to produce films himself and he knows what now what I'm capable of, you know. Yeah. And again, this is another story of, you know, this is this is another thing about the movie is I'm not too worried if the movie doesn't make uh, much money. I'm it's it's actually my calling card. Yeah. You know that, and this is what I'm going to rest my my future of uh, movie directing. So every single producer really that has seen that have reached out to me and watched my movie have actually all offered me movies. Yeah, to, right. So to direct for them because now they know right? I'm now on their radar. They look at it and go, "Oh my god, that looks amazing!" And you made it for how much? You know, yeah. you know that, that old question. Yeah, and away you go. I, I just have one question about Neil. You had him in for a very short day. It sounds like. Uh, wh- why? Why are you so efficient? Is that does that stem from being the director DP and, and kind of knowing when you have it and not having to translate it, or or is it something else? Um, yeah. Look, I, I've I've already got in my head what I want, and I think that's you know visually. I visually already know, and I always shoot multiple cameras as well. In multiple cameras, shooting, you know, in this case it was only him, so I just ran two cameras on him, right? But in running two cameras on him, it's, it becomes a one-take situation. Um, if you want to chop between cameras, you don't need to just do take after take after take. The other thing too is when you cast actors, um, you just got to make sure you don't have to hand feed them, right? Like actors that don't know their lines or actors that struggle with their lines will become a major burden for you on set, a time burden. Uh, because what happens is they might ruin a, a great big performance for, for another actor per se, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And you, you really need to make sure those, those, those actors are on point. And even if, okay, even if they don't know their lines 100%, it doesn't matter that they forget a full stop or drop a letter or, or they 
reconstructed slightly in their own way. So long as they have the start and the end is the same and the same duration, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm okay with that. But they've got to be – but they've, they've got to make sure that they don't throw other actors off. And um, and the good thing with Neil, when you're doing a, a single actor just talking, you know, just he's reacting to things on phones and friends mm. and all that like what Neil was doing, it's easy to shoot out 10 pages uh, of that in a few hours with yeah. two cameras. It's actually not hard at all. So it's not like – I mean, some people can turn that into something very hard. But the thing is, he knew literally that whole script when we turned up. I didn't have to feed him any lines. He, I said, all right, we're, now we're going to do, uh, and I have a look, and I had all my sides for each and every single um, piece. Uh, we had part of the movie edited. So he looked at the movie, right, he got it, looked at his page, and he goes, okay, done, let's do it. Let's do it. And off we went. Professional. <laughs> every single time. And I go, look, let's try a little bit like this. And then sometimes he would say, you know, I, I reckon I could do this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it, he was watching this thing and he loved the actor, Dave, uh, Kruger. Uh, no, yeah, Kruger. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Beard, right? Yeah, he was great. And um, he goes, I really like this guy. This guy's a great actor. He goes, I want to work with him a bit, you know, within the scene. And like he goes, I, th- I think he said something like, you know, um, and make sure that fat fuck doesn't, he was just dropping little lines like that and you know what i just let him do it because you know that these you need to have a little bit of spontaneity on set and you need to have a little bit of creative movement there so you can fart around so yeah he probably he, he always he did every one of my lines exactly the way i wanted and then he threw in probably another say 30 or 40 percent on top you know what i mean of, of extra stuff yeah yeah, and uh, and I took it all because I just thought, well, why not? Why not? You know, while I'm editing, I had to go. Oh, that works really well. So by the time we got into the final film, I think I used fifteen percent of what he gave me, you know, which he yeah. just sort of ad libbed, and and the rest was from the script. And um, that's why you get professionals, you know, because they just get the they give you the the cream on top, don't they? They just lift it to another level that you never expect on the page. So yeah, and the other thing is a lot of. There's a lot of actors, big name actors, um, that, and I won't mention any names, uh, but that I've worked with as well, just on ads and stuff. But you go, well, they, they don't remember a single line. You're literally hand feeding every single line. So I know now if I was ever going to do the movie, I was never going to hire them because they just yeah. drive me nuts. Even though they might be nice guys, it might, it might be fine, but an actor that doesn't know their lines and they're not prepared and they haven't got their character prepared and you're, like, trying to motivate them every time, you're trying to put them in the, you know, they're, they're, they're relatively lazy in a sense or maybe they're not capable, right? They're just famous because they are, not because of their acting skills. So, um, but anyway, that that's something that I made sure with all of my cast, I made sure my casting was really tight and I just made sure that, Every actor was on really got into their uh, character and really knew their lines. Did you have rehearsal time with every actor, or or did you do anything remotely in advance? No, no, I didn't. I did it one time. I just, I I did more. um, uh, I'm going to call it psychological evaluations, right? Because when we did the casting, I sent all the actors a, a a letter, and it was. Pretty much saying, if you're socially retarded, uh, don't come. Do you know what I mean? Because it's going to just kill everything. 
uh, meaning. I needed something that was going to be adventurous, brave, um, strong, committed, focused, you know what I mean? I didn't want mm. someone to come in and be a cancer with the team, you know what I mean? Yeah. The other actors, I didn't want there to be the painful prima donna egomaniac on set. Yeah. Because that's what happens is very quickly on all sets, and you know it yourself, you guys have been shooting long enough, you get one person in there, can literally poison the whole place pretty quickly, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the direct, as a director, I'm spending so much time trying to put that fire out all the time. So now my mind is not part of the creative. It's now pushed towards a single individual. Yeah. Um, and, again, that will burn time and it will start compromising your creativity. So so what I did before, uh, as I was casting, I got on the phone with each person. I was just asking them about themselves, who they are, you know, do you you know, do you like running through the jungle in Cambodia and get your over a rock and breaking your knee? You can handle that. You know, if it rains. How do you respond to that question? <laughs> um, you know, are you okay to be standing in the mud for four to four weeks? Are you happy to eat Cambodian food for a fortnight? Are you? You know what I mean? You want to know that these people will go, fuck yeah, I'm into it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah. Don't want to, anyone that hesitated, I just cut them. <laughs> Straight off, <on>, you're out. <laughs> so, how many how many people did you, in terms of? So, I'm sure you, um, you know, I'm sure you had a short list, or um, or even maybe even a long list. But like, what percentage of those people, you know, that you were interested in, ended up you having to go? Yeah, no, you're not. You, you don't fit the. Like, you're just not gonna. If you're not willing to do this, you're just not gonna be good for the shoot. Like. Well, that's what – see, when you have a good casting agent, that you give them the rules first, right? And they've got to that you've, they've got to tell them. Well, that, like I said, this letter that we gave all, everyone that cast for this film, yeah. I wanted them to read that letter first before they even cast because we, we, yeah. we did a lot of self-tapes. Yeah, right, okay. So that, you, that was your first filter before they even started sending yeah. in their self-cast. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. that's right. And look, it, and, you know – for some reason, when we did the, the casting in Australia, everyone was there was a lot of painful actors in Australia because I'm not sure why, but they think that this is the way Hollywood is supposed to act. Yeah, there was a lot of agents um, that were very painful, annoying. and it was yeah. it was just Australia. It was you know, and I went, and there were some good Aussie actors there, but their agents were letting them down. Right, once the yeah. agents started, you know, wanting to banter with me and and make things, you know, they're trying to, they're just trying to push you, right? And I've just cut them, gone. Because, and then the actor would ring up, what the hell happened? And I said, oh, your, your agent's a pain in the ass. And sorry, um, yeah. maybe the next one. And they're like, fuck. <laughs> you know, but it's it's just the way it is. We I wanted a nice, simple, easy, painless exercise through this whole thing. Yeah. And the last thing I needed was uh, pain from an agent. Or from an actor that was feeling like they were uh, famous, you know what I mean? Which is probably ex- that's, um, but you obviously had to compromise uh, for the boy who um, in this. Like I can imagine he would have been a total pain in the ass, which is fair enough because he gave an amazing performance. Oh, the young kid. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, he was he was incredible. He was like I'm just wondering, like in that performance when. You know, in relationship to his father, um, mm-hmm. like what? What did you like? Was it? Were you? Were you saying 
you better cry, otherwise I'm going to kill your dad? Like, what was it? Like, <laughs> no, no, definitely not. This is what's going to happen, okay? Either you do this or this is what's going to happen, buddy. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. Um, so that, that little kid was, uh, we cast that little kid from Cambodia, obviously. Yeah. Now, he was part of an orphanage. Uh, the whole, it was like we cast a whole bunch of kids from that orphanage and they were all fantastic kids. And the, wow. and the reason why we did is the lady that was helping us over there, uh, Kulika, mm-hmm. uh, she's a line producer, she goes, the, the orphanage kids, um, they want to be better in life, right, and everything yeah. they do. Where the kids that were with families and mums and dads, they, they, they were too looked after. You know what I mean? They didn't want yeah. to run into the bush. They wanted a, an umbrella over them. They, you know, it was it was all too hard. Where these kids have grown up quite tough, you tough. know, quite hard. Yeah. And they and to, to come on a movie set, all of a sudden it was amazing, right? There was food there all the time. There was looked mm-hmm. after transport, clothing, everything. And yeah. um, so these kids really put everything into it without me even asking because they wanted to be great. You know, this this. This this was like a dream for them to do anything like this, and uh, so that particular child, uh, Lee Tai, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we had all the kids, and it was more about you know I, I talked to all of them, and they could just speak English, so a lot of it was through translators. Yeah, and um, and but another thing too, I made sure I paid who these kids the exact same we paid the Americans. You know what I mean? Yep. There was no, there was going to be no, oh, the poor little, you know. Yeah. We're not going to rip no one off. Everyone yeah. should pay. Um, so, and oh, you know, through, sadly, the orphanage probably has to disperse that money the way they deem fit. But uh, my, my wife and I are get, literally going to go back to Cambodia and figure out a strategy because we'd like to help that kid's education at very least. Yeah, um, get better and better over time. So we're going to make sure that that young fella's looked after. I mean, anyway, back, sorry. Let's go back to his uh, performance. So. Um, he knew he read through the script with with the translator, who was a director as well. Mm-hmm. We went through, and they knew the scene, and we knew that that you know because he's an orphan child, um, his dad was actually murdered. I think. Oh God! Um, right. As well. Yep. I'm not sure if he witnessed the murder. Yeah. Um, but but there's know, something tangible there for him to hold on to. Yeah. So, you know, we went through the role with him and said, this is what happens and da-da-da, and he got it. You know, he's sitting there looking. He's nodding his head. He's, he's taking it all in. Um, and I said, look, just just do your best um, and we'll do it in pieces and, we'll, you know, just so you can, um, you know, in other words, I was about, I was going to shoot around his inefficiencies because I didn't yeah. know how great this kid was going to be. He was very attentive. He was great with his lines. He he, he was doing everything I asked throughout the whole movie, but this particular scene was a very powerful scene, and uh, and I just had no idea if he was going to be able to pull it off. So uh, we, you know, we sat, sat down with the uh, line producer slash director slash uh, translator, and we're going through and we're talking about this and this is what can happen, and you, you know, Dad's going to die obviously um, uh, from the gunshot because, and you're going to you're trying you're trying to protect your mum and him and. You know, it's all gone wrong. Um, so as good as you can, how would you react? He goes, I'd be very upset. And I go, yeah, I know, but the, what I would like you to do is you portray the way you would like to 
uh, fulfilled this role, uh, this, this, this scene, how you'd like to uh, make the scene come alive. Anyway, uh, it all happens. Uh, we got four cameras on it because I just didn't want to torture this child if, if it yeah. got crazy, you know what I mean? So we had four cameras on him um, on the whole scene and off he went and he did it in one take <laughs> and and he was and there was tears and I was literally yeah. on a camera bawling my eyes out watching him. Yeah. And I was, yeah. was going to call cut so many times because I was thinking, oh, the kid's being broken right in front of me, right? And then I had another operator really close, and he I looked at him, he looked at me, and there was tears rolling down his face as well. There was tears on the third operator. Um, but the, the actors were crying. The guy laying on the ground was crying. I had to paint his tears out. <laughs> 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 He's supposed to be dead and crying, right? Um, oh, my God. It was such an emotional thing. And I thought, yeah. enough's enough, and I called cut. You know, <laughs> I got to the end. And I went over, I said, Leap, Leap, are you okay? And he looks at me and goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, is that good? Is that what you wanted? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I said, I need a rest. I said, I'm just like so emotionally well, drained. Wow. Yeah, it was and so. Said, um, he goes, I'm going to do it again. I said, are you okay to do it one more time? I said, oh, we won't do it too many times because I'm not sure you can do it twice, right? Yeah. He goes, oh, no, I'll give it a go, right? So this time I just moved all the cameras in a bit closer because yeah. I had to put, pick up other characters, you know, as well. Because mm-hmm. we got we got all our mids and mids and wides and and a, f- a couple of tights. Now it's all very tight, and he knew that too. I said, "Now I'm going to get right in there," you know. And he did it again, carbon copy, and I was just like, "Oh my goodness, this kid is unbelievable!" Wow. And yeah, two takes done, finished. I did and, wow. and and he comes over and he looks at me, and, you know, he's rub- rubbing the tears out of his eyes and he goes, was that good? And I go, that was awesome. And he grabbed a soccer ball and off he ran and started playing soccer <laughs> with his mates. That's amazing. It was amazing. And it, to this day, I don't, I doubt I'll never get that, um, I'll never get that that uh, experience again probably. I hope I do, but it's to, yeah. to, to see a natural talent that good, you know. Yeah, uh, like in a bottle. Yeah, I, I was. I lucked in. I lucked in. Anyway, Actually, he was awesome. And and since he was that good, I just put him even more so in the film. You know. Yeah. Really got that character really working with Mason and um, and his mum and you know really he 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 had a, a he he became a far bigger role in the movie because he was just showing this 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 um, professional performance or the, showing this real performance that. It's it, you don't really get with kids, you know. Yeah. Well, look, it was interesting because I was thinking that. Um, I guess you've answered this question before, but um, like there seemed to be this this theme that you know children are the future, and you know to have this child who is essentially saving these adults almost from themselves. And I was wondering if there was any you know um, pressure from you know investors or anybody else to make it a pg-13 movie but uh obviously not no that oh, was a joke yeah, that was a joke by the way that was a joke no obviously yeah. it would never be a pg-13 movie but yeah, there was i was even contemplating myself to do a pg-13 14 you know what i mean yeah right but okay because again it's part of the whole commercial vehicle right yep yeah. uh, but i thought no hang on now this movie's going to be for me this one um 
there'll be plenty of movies that I'll be doing for other people that are for them yep. and PG-13 and kids' movies and all that sort of stuff, and I'm more than happy to do that and stick to the rules. Uh, but I just thought, no, nah, this one's for me. Uh, I'm going to make this movie that I like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting because it's – I wouldn't call – I wouldn't classify the film as horror, but there are moments when it it – for me, it dips into what I would consider to be a horror film, and it it catches me by surprise every time it does that. Well, that's that was actually my plan uh, because I thought, you know, if this if this movie has to be commercially viable, right? And horror is a big, a huge um, box tick. Mm. Uh, you know, when when you're selling a movie, thriller big box tick action is a big box tick you know what i mean uh, or sci-fi is another one so what i did is when we when we wrote the idea when we when we did all the script writing and everything i just made sure that i i didn't just make this an action movie you know i wanted it to be an action horror thriller blah 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 um cuz i i'm a, a small town you know director with a, with with a, you know a very um ambitious uh, movie, uh, so I'm going to try and target it towards as many uh, fans of genre fans as possible. And we have successfully because I, I never, you know, you could see it when we sent the trailer up. You know, we sent it to horror sites and it ended up with millions of views, you know, and uh, just normal action movie sites, millions of views. You know, it, it was really grabbing each one of those genre markets really, really well. Um, and we've just finished a red band uh, trailer for you know um, the horror market, um, and it's, and that's truly focused at that horror crowd. Even though it's not supposed to be a horror movie, but there's enough mm-hmm. in there to give them uh, a little treat where they go, "Oh my goodness!" You know that was like quite shocking. A few things, you know. There are some very confronting scenes with. Um gore and violence uh, and so I actually had some questions about some of the practical effects because it seems like a post-production like a visual effects movie you know you, the robots are certainly beautiful visual effects but there's some amazing practical effects in there too i think um talk to me about how you handled that on set in cambodia um which particular well, you've got um, uh, when uh, when the one guy steps on the landmine and dies. Um, oh, that's a yeah, fairly that was a mixture of both, right? So that particular one, because I, I we didn't have our normal pyrotechnics explosion guys. We just used the local guy in Cambodia. That day in day out, what he does is he blows mines up, real landmines wow. that are still scattered throughout the country, right? So they collect these landmines uh, each day, and they and he has to dispose of them. And um, so he was super, super safe. The good thing about hiring him is that no one was going to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was really, you know, where, um, you know, I work with a lot of, um, you know, uh, explosion guys and, they, and they'll make these things and and I go, wow, you know, one day some someone's going to get hurt with one of these, you know what I mean? And, and that, you know, a lot of people have, a lot of stunt people have been, injured in movie explosions, you know. Even though they're relatively safe this day and age, they're still it's still an explosion. Um, in our case, I didn't want to risk anything. So I, did, I didn't need an actor leaving with something that might have shot into his eye or, mm. you, know, you know, because it's still debris at the end of the day. 
Um, so what I did, I thought, well, let's just—I'll get this guy to run towards the camera, and right at the moment, uh, at a moment, he's just going to fly backwards and land on a mattress that was hiding in the long grass. Done. Yeah. And everyone laughed. Oh, that looks stupid, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, but but what he was running on was an actual charge that was there. So we we defuse it obviously, so it'll never blow up. But it's yeah. got all detonators and everything. Um, and then. And then we go, okay, get out of there. So he races over towards us. We make sure the area is clean and we just shoot the plate. Boom, you know, it blows up. And what I do, I just uh, merge the two plates together because it's all shot within a minute of, a minute or two of, of them each other so the lighting's exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and that's how we did it. We just sort of merged them together and did that and that was our explosion. So when you see him laying there and his leg blowing off, obviously that's, uh, I think he, I, I mean, if you dig around on my uh, Facebook or wherever, you, you can see his leg is just uh, his legs just normal, and we've got. Uh, I just found a company because I was trying to do it myself, but I couldn't get the blood just right because I'm not a great liquids guy. Yeah. So I thought I'll get. Uh, I found a company I think in in Czech Republic. Yeah. Um, that were really good at fluids, and they did a whole lot of stuff for Die Hard, and I like the way they did the bloods in there. Oh no! Sorry, Rambo. And um, anyway, they just painted the the leg out and just did it their way. Uh, it was affordable. It was only like I think they charged us twelve hundred dollars or something. Wow! So you had probably had blood makeup on him, um, but just the leg was what got replaced, or did you paint the blood on afterwards as well? Yeah, no, only on his stump did we do it in post, and all the meat that was lying around on the ground near the crater, all that yeah. was done in post. But him himself, he we had a prosthetics guy uh, on set that um, that did all the prosthetics. On, you know, it was burns and and all the torn skin and everything on set. Yeah, I mean, some of those those injuries looked really, really good in close-ups. Like the the makeup was fantastic. Yeah, it was. There was a guy, Jeff, his name is uh, Cabal, I think I can't remember, but it's um, this guy was so awesome. He was out of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, he came in. You know, big swing and dick, and he was he was talking himself up, and I thought, oh, well, we'll see. Um, but he he could talk. He he, honestly, he was probably the best special effects makeup artist I've used in my life in twenty five years. I mean, I've used some big big guys, and they will sit there and they would have spent four, five, six hours on that actor. This guy yeah. did in like thirty, forty minutes. Wow. And he turned, I remember when the actor walked to me, I went, oh, my God, that <laughs> it looked like it was really burnt. And I thought, well, because we're shooting 4K up close, macro yeah. time, right? And I looked really, really close. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, you've even got blood coming out of your skin. How, how is this even happening, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, and, they, and, the, and the guy did it with as well. There's an old man walking through the cave. Ah, uh, yes, yes, the blind, blind man. Yep, yep. yep. And I just found him actually. He was a priest that was walking through the, the cave. Yeah. And I thought, oh. Wait, like and he was actually just walking through the cave that you were filming in? Yeah. And I said, hey, do you want to be in the movie? And he goes, oh. <laughs> what? So I said, well, I'll, we'll give you some pocket money. Go over there. All you got to do is do your prayer because he had this prayer that he chants as he walks through. Yeah. The he was a priest actually. And he walked through and, um, and yeah, we. Looked like we had them all slashed up, you know. My God, because I looked at that and thought it, it was one of those. It was such a. It's this moment of um, 
the outside world just kind of creeping in. We've never seen him before and we'll never see him again. And I honestly thought that you had found somebody who had had that done to his eyes and to his face. I thought that that's the way he was. I didn't didn't think that that was makeup at all. That was amazing. And I'll tell you how amazing it was. When when this guy turned up and, and literally did that, all that makeup like 20 minutes, right? And he came up to me, the, the priest, and he looked with with the makeup artist and I looked at this guy and went, oh, my goodness. It looked like he really cut him with a knife. I said, how are you actually getting the dents in his skin? And he goes, oh, you know, the makeup artist is as smart-ass as he was, <laughs> you know, but he's a lovely smart-ass. Yeah. He goes, if I tell you, you have to kill you, you know. Yeah. Like, all right, you know, there's tricks of the trade, right? But um, but he did it. It was it was uh, again. I could be so close. I didn't see any. There was no problems of shooting macro. I want that guy's phone number, like because it was it was seriously that was that's amazing. Um, if I can drag him to Australia, I will. I mean, I can. I'll try because he is he is world class. This guy is wow. unbelievable. I've I've done some filming in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to lighting, how did you go with with power and you know, like like what 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 was your lighting like out there um, in the jungle? It was really difficult because I didn't take any. <laughs> so the whole movie we didn't shoot with any lights at all. None. The whole movie. Natural. Yeah. Wow. I oh, actually. I'm a- what. I'm a, what? I'm a liar. In the cave, we had a couple, like two or three of those cheap little, uh, you know, LEDs. LED things yeah. that we stuck in the holes. But, but reality is, no, the, the, the dead truth of it is I just made sure every location I shot and chose and, and each time of the day I just made sure I shot at the perfect time of the day and the right time of the day uh, and found locations that just had beautiful natural light coming through. Uh, that I decided uh, there was going to be no lighting. So, I mean, you must have had a bunch of bounce and modifiers and, and negative and that kind of stuff as well, though, right? Not a scratch of anything. Mark, you are pulling my leg, man. Come no. on. <laughs> no, no. And, that, and that, a lot of, look, I, I've showed my movie to, again, a couple of very big DP friends of mine that do nothing but tentpole movies, and they were... They, they they said, what lenses did you use? And I told them, and they were like, oh, my God. And they said, what camera did you use? And I said, oh, my God. Who, who lit it? And I said, well, no one. It's natural. And they're like, oh, my God. You know, like, they just like, can't believe it. And they're, um, and these guys are like seasoned pros, right? They're just, you know, one of them yeah. pretty much won an Academy Award. And, again, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but, but they're all, yeah, they're all gasp as well. And I said, well, that's. You know, there's nothing wrong with shooting. There's a lot of great movies that are shot naturally. You know what I mean? And yeah. I- yeah. There's there's nothing wrong with that. But the I guess the difference is that um, in my position as a DP, I'm often asked to recreate light or extend light or lengthen the, the amount of time that we can do something in a, in a given place. And I guess if you are the writer, director, DP, you have a little bit more control over. Well, I'll just not do it here, or uh, this isn't working, so we'll flip the scene and do something else. You know, yeah. you know what I mean. So, how often? Maybe that's a good question. How often did you have to modify your day to work with the light, or work with rain, or or solve some kind of noise issue, uh, and just like change the scene entirely? Uh, it was only one day. No, sorry, two. No, one day actually. 
Um, it was quite a long scene. It was uh, in front of the uh, the hut, the Keeler's hut, uh, you know, where the, the bad guys came oh, in. Yep. The yep, guys yep. Came and there was a big standoff with the whole crowd. So we're, This is early in the movie, right? Yeah, early in the movie. It was about 15 minutes in or something, uh, where they were confronted by the drug guys, right? And the drug village guys. Now, that scene, uh, that took all day, actually, to shoot that out because there was a lot of people that didn't know how to act, right? You got the guys that never held a gun in their life, right, in this village. They, there's um, a couple of actors that just had no idea about lines and how they need to come across. So there was quite a bit of work in, in getting certain things to, to gel and work in there to look natural. So what we did, we started shooting in the morning because what I always try to do when I find a location or a setup is I always, I always like to try for a, a backlight type situation or a side light situation. I don't like front light. And I wanted, I didn't, I wanted to make sure I didn't, um, you know, um, break my line on any of the cinematography and the dialogue. Uh, and what was happening is the sun, you know, by the time the sun got to like ten o'clock, you know, from an eight o'clock start, all of a sudden we, all our light was starting to get shit, just turned to crap. So instead of shooting that scene out, I asked my first AD um, to bring us back, and we shot the next half of that scene in the same light the next day you know what i mean so that was the yeah, only right. time that we had to do that wow yeah in the cave it was, it was okay it was dark and we at the time when you know the the heliums and monstros weren't out there and we still had the dragon cameras but uh, uh jared sent me one of the prototype uh, one of the early uh, heliums uh to use which we i ended up having to shoot a, a good portion of that whole cave stuff with a single camera, which was driving me fucking bananas, and and it sort of dragged. Was the whole... that just for the ISO or what? Yeah, just for the ISO. Yeah, because the helium could could eat up the, the yeah. dark nicely, but the, the the little dragons were struggling, right? But just having that extra couple of stops up your sleeve was um, was a big benefit. Um, and I didn't really want to bring because the moment you start bringing in light and you haven't got the correct lights, it just starts looking like shit. So uh, yeah, I ended up with one camera and all, a lot of that. Uh, which dragged out the day. But those were the only little um, things that I modified uh, through the through the 50-odd days that we shot there. Yeah. Wow, 50. So the, so the schedule was 50 days. Yeah, it was 47, 40, yeah, 47, 48 days in Cambodia, and then we shot uh, a few days in New York, uh, a little yep. bit in Canada, and, uh, and some visual effects plates. Um, you know, some action fighting scenes with the robots here in Australia. Yeah. We just shot in the studio. Yeah. Yeah, right. How did you handle the uh, international shoots? Were you, was that second unit stuff or, or did you go there for, for that as well? Yeah, no, we shot, yeah, there was a lot that we shot in New York, actually. Um, we shot the uh, Foster. We shot him in a penthouse there just next to Empire State Building, uh, which creeps in the shot every now and then. It was more wider shots in there, but it just felt like Foster needed to be a little bit more intimate. So we probably didn't need to, to really spend that much money on a big penthouse uh, after all that because I just didn't end up using those shots, you know. They, they sort of looked great, but they weren't right, you know what I mean? Well, it's interesting. I think that, yeah, that's a – I think that was a really smart choice because it makes him feel um, there's an, an – he's – 
kind of like an anonymous character. The fact that he uh, he isn't so that his situa- situations and so specific, it, he really feels like he could be any one of those corporate titans, which makes him all the more uh, dangerous in a way. So yeah, he's more yeah. menacing. Yeah. Yeah, well, and he, you know, he he was a really solid actor too, and he had the, the you know the cool deep voice and all that sort of stuff, and um, you know, and he was a real pro too, and he, and you know, I was sort of fumbling around doing my wides and mids, and I'm like, oh, fuck the wides, you know. <laughs> By the time we, once we got going, I realised um, he he was he was better, you know, just close shots and chest and heads and. Stuff like that. But, you know, we had him in the limo and we drove around Times Square and all around 42nd Street and, you know, doing all the car stuff. We just, I just hired a big limo truck, you know, a big limo four drive or whatever, yeah. you know, the big, the big, uh, Hummers or whatever it was. And we just drove around and, uh, we shot all his internals there. Then we did a little bit, uh, with Jason Diamond, actually, uh, in Times Square. Uh, we shot him in there, and uh, that was a fun cameo. <laughs> it was nice yeah. to see him pop in. I was because I, I had no idea, and I was like, "Oh the fuck, come on!" Yeah. <laughs> no, well, we got there, and I uh, I needed a hitman, and uh, we I was actually casting for a hitman. And I thought, fuck, he's only going to be in it for like two seconds, you know? I go, fuck, I'll ring up Jason see if he wants to be in it. And Jason goes, "Yeah, what the hell?" And he didn't want any money or anything. And I said, "I'll just take take a couple hundred bucks and a and a handshake," you know. But, but he was fine with it. He didn't care. He just wanted to have fun and hang out with us, you know. Yeah, I think I, I hired some gear off him as well. I'm not sure. I'm not, I can't remember. But um, but no, he was good and he was perfect. And because he, you know, him being a director himself, he knew um, he knew what I was after. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was that dark, really don't talk much type of guy. You know what I mean? Keep it yeah. simple. The the typical uh, you know hitman that just rolls around New York killing people for fun. So, so I do have a question. Like you've got, you've got New York. Why, like why New York? Why Cambodia? What what drove these location choices? Well, I wanted I, I wanted uh, New York in there regardless, purely because of the scale. It, it, it gives a great production value to the movie, right? Just just that as a city, you know. It's it's. I just think it's nicer to shoot in than Georgia, <laughs> for instance. Yeah. So you get the big so in, instant production value. Yeah, and then. Um, and I wanted to fly in, you know, into a city. So we got we hired the chopper with Jose from, you know, Gotham and um, and we hired a second helicopter and we chased that helicopter in and we landed down at Wall Street there. And um, it was just a nice touch because I just I just thought from the opening credits, I just want right at the start, I want people to go, oh, Jesus, this, this is this looks real deal, right? Yeah, scale. Um, and, it's you know, it didn't cost a fortune to do that. And I thought it was a nice start to the film, and it gave it a bit of a uh, bit more of a global feel, you know what I mean? And and I did want to make sure that this guy was a bit of a fat cat in a big city, you know what I mean? Yeah, makes sense. I didn't want him to look like he was in Sydney, you know, Sydney, blah blah, Sydney, you know. <laughs> Sydney's fine, but I just didn't want it. I just go fuck it. I'm going to go straight to the top. This is kind of New York. I was shot a thousand aerials around Sydney. That you know, it's so so. Nothing beats the scale of um, of, of New York. And shooting in New York is really easy too. So, um, you know, some people think it's quite hard, but it's not. There's um, there's a there's a, a law that's been there for many many years, a shooting law, where if you're under five people, you don't even need a permit. Yeah. Um, I think you know a lot of people know that. Or if you if you do get the permits, very easy to get because they're so used to getting those permits. 
and um, you know shooting in Times Square other than all the RF noise which is going to kill your microphones and everything uh, we had just hardwired into uh, into Jason um, and to get the, the audio because you know the the noise obviously with radio microphones in New York is almost near impossible to find a clear channel well, what people don't know about the Diamond Brothers is that they're actually robots, and so they, he just when you say hardwired, he just has a headphone jack that you <laughs> you just jack it right into that. It's a mini XLR, actually, kind of a throwback to the uh, to the first red. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry, instead of radio mics, we just plugged in. Uh, but you know, but uh, um, you know, we even flew over our sound guy because we just because our sound guy was so great in Cambodia. I just wanted to give him a little bit of a gift as well to say, well, come to New York for a few days and let's go and shoot New York. Uh, but we kept our team pretty small and pretty lean. I've got Michael Gone who uh, run second camera. Uh, yeah, he's great. I like Mike. Yeah, well, I like him too because he shot with me quite a few times around the States and because uh, he's so fast and fluid and he, he knows I don't have to talk to him much. I go, well, there's your angle. That's the lens. Make it look good. See you later. <laughs> and that's 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 pretty much the, well. That's my relationship with Matt. I have to say, we just don't talk much. Yeah, yeah it, that's really by choice, though. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to go better. <laughs> I did have a question, though. Did you um, did you write Cambodia into the script, or did you write it for generic jungle and then go and find the jungle? Um, yeah, no, it was always going to be generic uh, Golden Triangle, all right? So we were, we were either going to shoot in Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, or Cambodia, anywhere in that region. So I decided Cambodia because I'd, uh, I I did a recce there and I went, wow, there's, there's quite a few really great locations here uh, that were too annoying in Thailand, similar ones, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and too expensive because Thailand's very film-centric. Yeah, uh, they know how to charge you. Uh, Vietnam was really good, but it was very limiting on a couple of other locations I was going to. I, I, I needed, and um, Cambodia just seemed to tick tick a lot of location boxes, and the cost was uh, was fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. And or the good thing with shooting Cambodia as well, or anywhere in in, in deep Asia, and I call it deep Asia because we're out of the major cities, was the um, you know you you could feed. Your crew for under ten dollars a day. Yeah, and they're all full. You know, I mean, they can't eat anymore. And, and as the well, food's like, amazing. Like, two beers and, and a leg massage, all in the same, and all for the same ten bucks, right? So, and you and you stay in um, accommodation, which is really good accommodation for like. <coughs> pardon me. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, you get really good accommodation uh, for you know like anything from fifty to one hundred dollars a night. Um. You know, it's it's really a cost efficient place. So just shooting there alone saved us, a, you know, a couple of million dollars by not shooting it in Australia. That's amazing. Mm. So we would be remiss to not talk about one of the best looking things about the film is is these robots, and they look fucking great. <laughs> like they look really, really, really good. How how did you? How did you know that you could make them so good? Did you did you do tests before you even got into production? Like what? I, I'm I'm such a you know, not digital guy. I'm, I like to do things in camera because that's the only thing I know. And so when I look at those uh, on screen, I go, I don't I can't even imagine how you got there. Mm. Well, I think 
look, one, one good thing is when you when you know how to do post production um, at a high level, uh, things become easy very very quickly, and uh, and the robots were no uh, were no difference than doing a car, a three D car, or a three D watch, or a three D anything, right? So, you know, we've done commercials where uh, we've done full th- CG cars for the last probably 10 years on, in ads where people thought we had the car, but the reality is the client hadn't even finished making the car yet. And we'd run around and we'd just shoot a, a, a dummy car with tracking markers on it and then we'd put the new car on top. And that was headlights, everything, you know what I mean, the whole lot yeah. of wheels moving, everything. And, but uh, you did that in house, or you hired that out no, to no, I, trusted I, people. Tells us to do a lot of that stuff. Um, but I just know over the years, of even what I've learned over the years as well in three D, is you know once you once you've got great a great UV, oh sorry, I'll call it a texture map for instance, or great textures and um, a great photographic uh, uh, libraries, you know, with all the right dents and scratches and all that sort of stuff. Um, and you've got good HDR models, you keep your lighting really simple, the same as what you would out in the real world. Don't overcomplicate the way you um, light and uh, grade and composite that model. Uh, you'll be amazed of how fast it, how good it looks straight up. Okay, so where, where, where it all started was is uh, before we even made the movie or shot the movie, I wanted to make sure... Uh, we had a design underway. So uh, I knew what was going to be fitting into the Cambodian forest, you know what I mean? So, it, uh, so I went through about three or four different um, designers because I know that I, I could probably model myself, my, my own robot, but it, it'll take me forever because I'm not a modeler, right? I'm, I'm very, I'm quite fluent in 3D, but I'm not fast at it. And uh, because I don't use it all the time, I'm not a post house. I just I just do things in 3D uh, that I need for my commercials. And but if, if it's anything really big, I like to farm it out to a proper post house that's got 30 people sitting there ready to work on it. You know what I mean? Instead of me sitting there for three months doing it myself. Yeah, so totally. In this case, I found a designer. Uh, 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 where was he? The first guy was in the states. Uh, but he was giving me so much attitude. I just I ended up cutting him. It was just like it was it was all of a sudden becoming his robot, not mine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, then a guy from India put his hand up, and he was great actually. He 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 had some really amazing designs, but he had no ideas, no idea about uh, engineering. You know what? How things move. Like he designed something that looked so awesome as a still image. But this thing couldn't work, you know what I mean? It, yeah. It, it never It would just fall apart if, if you tried to move an arm. And for the, and I was getting so frustrated with him because I'd, I'd, I'd be educating him about hydraulics and pneumatics and that because I'm from an engineering background. Right. And I used to work with a lot of heavy, heavy machinery in my early days. Right. And a lot of uh, robotic knuckles and um, hydraulic, you know, swivels and all that sort of stuff. So I was quite fluent in a lot of that stuff already. Um, so anyway, he was um, he started giving me a lot of grief too. So I went, oh, this is getting out of hand, right? Can't find a designer that, that really knows in, uh, in industrial things or engineering. They're, they're more about the look, not the functionality. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, um, yeah, I was literally skimming through uh, Pinterest or Pinterest, or I think I can't know they call it. Uh, you know, that just that, that yeah, yeah, Pinterest library type thing. And I found this um, this uh, robot uh, in there, and I went, "Wow, that hang on, this guy gets it right. He gets how things move. He's, it was it still wasn't perfect, but he understood." Um, how a basic engineering works. So I reached out to him and he was a Russian guy. Now we pretty much designed this robot together um, through Google Translate. <laughs> so he could, I could understand Russian. I'd send it to him and he'd send it back and good old Google Translate would just, you know, we had to do everything literally over email. That is awesome. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I showed him all the things I liked from models that I found around the world and robot styles and drawings that I'd made and all that. And he came back with his first draft and it was very Cold War Russian, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was cool. It was really fucking cool. So really, he really he had a really good um, idea of where I needed to be. And I needed to fit within the shoulders, elbows, knuckles of a real human uh, because I wanted our animators to track it, uh, the human underneath, right? Yeah. And I put so I had to make sure that the ergonomics of these robots were the same as as, as a human. So um, uh, in knuckle, sorry, in joint position. So what I started to do then is uh, we went away and we did the shoot, and I didn't worry about the design just then. I th- I thought, well, the look of it looks right. It still needs work from a engineering sense but i'm really happy with the basic the basic look of this thing so far so we went and shot the movie all good and done um came back edited it all up and then we started uh he you know that it was about six or eight ten months later um he comes back with a new robot <laughs> well it's actually the same robot but it's he got rid of the whole cold war thing right yeah it went really industrial because i I sent him a couple of shots that I really liked, and I said, "Look, see, see the uh, finishes. There's bits of carbon fiber in here. There's a whole bunch of exotic materials." I said, "Notice the hydraulic rams and the way the rams work." Mm-hmm. Um, I said, but "Another thing too is, you know, let, let's rig it basically, and we'll see what clashes." So when you rig a robot, for instance, and you want to uh, just curl the bicep bicep up, you know, like you're just doing a muscle bicep, mm-hmm. the forearm. The metal of the forearm was smashed that. into the bicep. So yeah. with a human, those two can squash together because we're just made of you know fat and tissue, right? Yeah. But but as a um, but as a hunk of metal, it, it didn't work at all. So then we I, we had to design these cut cutaways in there so the forearm could actually slip inside the bicep. So then I go, well, if that's the case, yeah, that right. this particular joint here. So I, I sent him a joint that uh, that's on off. You know that it's, it's part of a robot uh, knuckle joint, which is a, which is a hydraulic knuckle joint, and it's called like a two one seven X or something part. You know, I sent him a photo of it. See, this knuckle here would work really well on that elbow because as it goes out, it notice that it extends as it moves, which wow. will give it ten millimeters, um, and then we won't get the clash. And also, the tubing and the hydraulic power is built within the knuckle, so that means we can get rid of the hoses because he had hydraulic hoses that went down yep. the Yeah. Uh, we'll lose the hoses and we'll just use that and we'll pipe the oil down through the bicep, you know, but internally. And uh, he got it. You know, once he understood how these these uh, knuckles and particular things worked and these servos, 
and how I wanted the hydraulics that were, you know, around his stomach. You know, we, I said, get mm-hmm. rid of the rubbish he had. I said, it all looks great, but it would never work in real life. So let's work it off a of a double tripod, inverted and upside down tripod system in, in the hydraulics, and we'll work his whole stomach area uh, using um, these hydraulic rams. And then we did that, and we went, oh, shit, the neck would work for that too. So then we reconstructed the whole neck system with the whole hydraulic uh, system as well. Anyway, a long story short, it, it took about 12 months of fiddling back and forth, back and forth. But it's interesting, though, the amount of just the amount of uh, thinking and detail that goes into the construction of 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 that. Now, I, you know, I can imagine that, um, yeah, it's easy to look at and go, yeah, they just kind of, you know, whacked a model together and it's pretty Um Without necessarily recognizing the uh, yeah the attention to detail that's required to kind of because one of the things that really does sell the robot aside from you know the compositing and the texturing and all of that is the movement it's the the animation like the way that they swivel like you said from the hip and then the head turns it's yeah it's a that's a twelve months well spent like um, yeah congrats because they and, and are. There were major characters in the film, and I didn't want to fuck it up, right? So, yeah, you know the amount of sci-fi movies that get made, uh, and the and the posters shit. You know, you go, oh wow, yep, uh, really let down by that. And I just didn't want anyone to question a lot of this. You know, there's, there's a couple of ropey shots in there which I wish I fixed, but the reality is, there's probably more ropey shots in a Marvel movie, to be honest. Yeah, you know, because the, the, there's so many, and the and they're just smashing it together by the end. But I just thought, if people look at this, I want them to question it. Is this robot real? Did Toya make this thing or is it yeah. true? Yeah. And, you know, there's so many. I was listening to a podcast the other day about, you know, it was just people reviewing my film. Yeah. And these four people in this in this podcast all thought we'd made this robot for, for real. <laughs> They'd heard a rumour that we'd made it for real. Well, and, like had, and had somebody wearing it on set? Yeah. It, you know, and we were using sticks and we painted the sticks out and all that sort of stuff, you know, and. And it, it was, anyway, it was a really interesting thing because one of them had heard that uh, we had Wetter made make the robots, right? Right. And uh, but I did. I actually reached out to those guys over there, and they, the price that came back was like astronomical. So I thought, yeah, oh, won't even go there. I mean, the price of the robot was actually more than my whole movie. Wow. Um, so oh God. yeah, and uh, so look, the reality is, if I just thought, screw it. Uh, oh, actually, it, it's a bit more than just designing the robot, right? So once we had the robot designed, made, I then took that robot, I fed that off to two different people, a rigger mm-hmm. and a texture guy. Yeah. So um, again, my texturing is pretty good but not as good as the guy I that we got on it. So um, he really got in there. I, I showed him a whole bunch of samples of where um, and we, we, had to, we built 12 robots by the end. Um, yeah. Uh, at different levels and stages of their involvement, you know, running through the bush. Yeah. A few more bullet hits, scratches, explosions, all that sort of stuff. So they slowly, you know, get, sorry for sniffing, uh, they slowly get a bit more um, dented and messed up as, as the movie goes on. Yeah. Um, so so we, uh, so what we did is he made the, 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 the one robot and goes, well, here's all the scratches and everything like that. And the good thing about 3D is you can move the scratches around only a mm-hmm. little bit and it's completely different, right? You just have to yeah. slide the, 
scratches around a touch. And I said I, I wanted to have a lot of wear on the corners and all that. And there's and these plugins now, you know, uh, within your renderer and and within three D now that you can wear a corner of a bit of metal really easily without actually uh, doing anything with the UV map. Yeah, um, right. It's just a plugin now and they look really good, all these wear marks. So what did you do the 3D in? Uh, Maya. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So all, all the textures were done in Maya because we, we were our whole pipeline was a Maya pipeline. Yep. And, and the only reason it was is because we had, you know, we had our animation team uh, that we found in um, – Vietnam, and mm-hmm. they wanted, they all were using Maya. So Maya, yeah. we originally were going to go, you know, uh, Cinema 4D, and then we just couldn't find enough decent artists uh, on the Cinema 4D. So then we went over to Maya. And I guess once that, um, like, I guess the byproduct of all this is now that you have, you've now got uh, the functioning plans for an AI robot that you can sell to the CIA. It's <laughs> perfect. In yeah, fact, I, I want to take that. it one step further. I'm going to start another rumor that this is a documentary and um, uh, this is <laughs> actual robots and you just follow them through the jungles of Cambodia. Yeah, we just chased them around. Yeah. <laughs> I'm cognizant of your time and uh, we need yeah. to talk about distribution. Um, yes. You've got a fairly unique distribution plan. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do the basic. Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet but very pointed. So. Um, Obviously, we didn't sell our movie. Actually, we did. We sorry, when we did, went through the CAA angle, yeah. uh, and they were good, good lads, good company. Um, they, uh, we just didn't get the dollars we hoped, and we did get a big deal, a six-figure, um, uh, sorry, a seven-figure offer uh, from one of the big distributors over there. And um, but we didn't like the contract. The contract was very one-sided and very long-winded. Yeah. And it, it didn't really suit us, uh, or Carol and I. And because Carol and I, again, you got to remember, if we were desperate for the cash and I was really busy and all that, we probably would have dumped it and walked away. But the reality is, we didn't really need the money and we didn't need the headache of dealing with with this particular contract. On and it wasn't enough anyway. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so the reality is, yeah, uh, making the movie, I could have got my money back quite quickly on it, but I. Uh, before we even sold it, before it even was out to the world, but we didn't. Yeah, we felt we could have uh, uh, probably done better, and we just thought, "Well, screw it. We'll have a bit of a crack and do it our way." Do you and mind if I ask? Decided to do it our way uh, was because I then had control of marketing, I had control of everything, and I can then use this movie also as a publicity tool for myself. You know, for me moving forward. When you sell a movie to a big distributor in the States, uh, you technically got to walk away from everything and you've got to ask their permission if you want to promote it. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, 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 because it's their product. So for you to be, it's um, yeah. yeah, it's a bit like uh, saying, hey, I'm going to put my own, do my own director's cut and put it up on my thing, uh, <laughs> on my site, blah, blah, without asking. There the is client, a lot of whatever. rules with a lot of these big contracts, right? Yeah, but, and you don't you don't you don't get carte blanche to do whatever you want, even though they're going to make all the money. And, and then we worked it out that what's going to happen is that selling it through these guys, uh, the movie would probably do quite well, but I wouldn't see much of it. Do you know? What yes. I mean? Yep. Uh, yep. This way, You're talking about the the back end in yeah. terms of like obviously there's that upfront, but then on, in terms of the back end there. Yeah, the back end I probably won't see anything. 
Yeah. And if I do, and if I sell it my way, the movie will probably make less money, but I'll make more overall. Over yeah. Time. So, so that was the way we weighed it all up. And and you know, the company that offers offered us the the seven figure deal, you know, a good company that had been around forever. It was just the deal was too rusty for us. You know, we knew they were going to sell it. Uh, first and get it out in the marketplace and they're going to make some money and then they were going to finally pay us. <laughs> you know that, yes, we, right. we go, well, if you're going to take the movie, why don't you give us all the money and then go and sell it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's what we, we weren't really happy about that. So we, I just said uh, thank you very much and uh, we moved on. But, um, but that's a traditional way of selling it. So what I end up doing, uh, or we, I always say we, sorry, is we uh, – uh, we decided to go down an aggregation route, and um, I mean, we used a company to help us put it up on uh, nine platforms, which was uh, like Apple, Amazon, uh, Fandango, um, uh, Indemand, uh, Google, uh, yeah, Google Play, sorry, uh, YouTube, blah blah blah, you know, the rest of them, and um, and. Out of that, I was going to completely 100% then have control of the marketing, which we've done. And uh, so this first stage of sales, because there's three stages that we're going to go through, the first mm-hmm. stage is uh, transactional video on demand or PVOD or TVOD, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And that's where we rent it. Rent it or buy it. People rent or buy it, you know, for 5 bucks or buy it for 20 bucks or whatever. Yeah. And that's going to go for about three to four months. And then... We've got a SVOD uh, strategy, which we then will um, probably uh, rent, say, uh, to you know the Netflixes of the world, Hulu's, yeah. uh, you know all the TV stations. You know we'll just push it all out like that. Yeah, um, and that that's when you get you know you get a bit more money through your SVOD sales, and then you can put it on um, SVOD uh, Amazon as well yourself, and you, and you make a percentage per minute yeah. or per hour. You know, like I think they might pay you like 11 cents every time someone plays the thing for half an hour or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's ongoing. So after that whole thing is all done, then we're going to put it in AVOD, which is Advertising Video on Demand, and that's like Tubi. So yeah. Tubi will put will let people watch your movie for free and what the people that advertise within your movie, you get a percentage of those advertising costs, which is pretty much the same as YouTube. And yeah, right. Yep. So that's AVOD. Uh, now, the good thing about those three TVOD, AVOD, SVOD uh, systems over 12 months is over the next 25 years, these are always going to be there. True. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's up to me now as the as the property owner to make sure that we create enough buzz, fanfare, advertising around it because not everyone's going to know my movie even exists. Yeah. So even though... Uh, we've had quite a good, um, oh, um, amazing success, uh, sorry, for the movie as an indie film. Uh, now we've like number one on, uh, you know, iTunes and Google Play and yeah. certain genres. We were number two in Apple there for a little while. Uh, we were number That's one. incredible. Uh, you know, we were up there, we're sitting up there with Tenet and Wonder Woman yeah. either side of us, you know, it was amazing. Um, so we had a really good start and our... And I think just on Amazon in the first, you know, two or three weeks, I think we got something like, uh, uh, I don't know, I can't remember, like five million minutes of viewing just on Amazon, which equated to like a quarter million dollars, I think. Wow. Uh, rentals. And that was only one place, right? So 
so things like that so things are moving so we're, we're it's it's going through quite quickly now the other way of distribution too is we're also doing territory sales you know foreign territories yeah like right to taiwan japan france germany all that sort of stuff so you know we've made several hundred thousand dollars doing it that as well do you know what i mean directly yeah. to markets yeah they're, they're probably going to dub it and put funny voices on it and all that sort of stuff and and the movie will sell it for them for 10, eight, 10 years or whatever, and they'll, they they can do whatever they can do to exploit that, that our product in those countries. In 10 years, they give it back to me, and then I throw it out to another you know, back, yeah. in the, back in the AVOD, TVOD, SVOD pool after that's finished, you know what I mean? So, but how did you, in terms of obviously for all of those um, platforms to work though, mm-hmm. I guess going back to what you were talking about before, you have to build that audience to find it like obviously if it ends up um like i'm not sure how it ends up you know hitting on landing on the um on your apple menu when you plug in there but for mm-hmm. people or like for example for myself i found this movie um like maybe three or four months ago just by coming across you know uh, a trailer for it and going what the hell that's Mark Toyer. What? Huh? How <laughs> yeah. Did this, yeah. So, how did like in terms of building that audience? What was your strategy there? Well, um, yeah. Look, three three to four months ago, we launched the trailer. Uh, a lot of people go, "Oh, that's too long. That's too long." And I mm-hmm. go, "Well, I don't think it's long enough uh, for my advertising days, because I know that the world, the media, I mean, the world from a digital perspective is very noisy, right?" Mm. And it takes a lot of money to cut through that noise uh, or a lot of time. Or yes. Bust. Yeah. So I thought my three months out or three or four months out actually was, was a good amount of time because people go, okay, where do I watch it? Where do I see it? Oh, you can't. Oh, geez, I've got to wait till December. Yeah. So, oh, who's this? That's oh, my son. Two seconds. Hey, Jordy. Yeah, I'm just doing a podcast, mate. Come upstairs or sit downstairs and I'll be with you in a minute. Yeah, come, come inside and sit down. <laughs> now, now come you're and join on us. <laughs> well, he was he was part of the crew, wasn't he? Oh, Jordan, my son. Yeah, now he was, a, and he was a robot too. He was a robot. Um, so, oh yeah, sorry, yeah, <laughs> a bit of comedy for the. Okay, so um, where were we? So, the yeah, marketing it, to me, this has been this is actually the the major part. So, you know, putting the movie on platforms that's not that hard, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing all these deals are not that hard, but marketing your film in a very noisy digital world is very tough. Um, and that's where we go. We I figured out we're going to do an organic strategy and a paid strategy. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're going to make a movie for a million dollars, you want to make sure you've got at least fifty or a hundred grand put aside for your digital marketing. Yeah, uh, because no one's going to know this movie exists without it, right? Then you've got to create. Then you've got to go through a big PR hype type thing, which you've got to pay for. Um, pushing it out to all the YouTube guys, or you know, all the mm-hmm. uh, hype online sites, all the, everyone and everyone. Give people screeners and get that hype machine working. And the, the good thing about it, uh, this particular film, and there's another reason why I went for a robot movie, is because robots. You don't see a lot of robot movies. It's a very. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I've know, never thought of it. I've never gone, I've never jumped on, you know, sat down there with uh, Netflix or whatever and gone, 
where are my robot movies, but you're 100% right. Yeah. Like, yeah, there, there was a gap there and you filled it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, so horror, thriller, action, robots. <laughs> okay, so now putting a robot in a thumbnail, you, the big thing too, the thumbnail became a huge factor of our marketing push. That little thumbnail yeah. that people see in YouTube, and that's an impression, right? So whether it's in Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, that impression, even though people might not press it, it becomes a, a moment, a, a thing stuck in their brain, right? Yeah. So, so you've noticed in a lot of my posters and all that, we've used one where we're sort of looking up at the at the robot holding a gun. Yeah. But that one resonated the most. So we did a lot of testing with our posters. And that one kept coming to the top all the time. So that became our, our with a lot of, you know, uh, people testing of, of our robots, that became a like a really solid one that kept working, and as well as a face, a really close portrait, head front-on shot. Yeah. So we use those primarily in our marketing and our thumbnails and our impressions. So then once we started doing, and, and then the trailers were really designed as well, we did a few test trailers, one with a lot of talking in it and a, a lot of exposition, and then one that was just explosions and fucking guns and robots flying around. And what yeah. we did, we realised people didn't really want to know about the story. They just want to watch something cool. Yep. So there's yep. some people that go, oh, I didn't really know what the story's about. And there's other people going, oh, now I've seen the whole movie. You know, there's always someone whinging about yeah. the trailer, right? Yeah. So after we did a few trailers, we realised the ones that were working and then we just slowly got rid of the rest. And then we put, and that's when we um, put up that major trailer uh, that from three or four months ago. And then we did a second trailer, which was even more action focused and a little bit shorter. Um, and then we started going into our paid stuff, which we which we only did once we noticed the organic stuff was starting to slide. Is then we started to push our paid uh, media into Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, we, right. and we're about to hit YouTube pretty hard this year as well. So, um, and the, the here's the crazy thing: we've only literally spent about six or eight grand at the moment um, out of out what. Of the, so our organic reach has been amazing. Our that is incredible. Really built amazing, um, and with our six or eight or ten grand, I'm not sure what it is at the moment. Whatever that amount is now, we've reached our our paid amount. I think we've had several million views. Uh, of people actually wanting to press the button and watch it. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. And then that's we drive cool. people to any one of those platforms, you know. What, what strikes me as interesting about this is how you're, you're you're fiddling with the dials. You know, you're you're trying something and then revising it and, and refining it. That's really hard to do. It's really hard to hire that out. It's easier to do that when you're yeah. And you're on the pulse of it and you have access and, and the skills to make those changes yourself or to drive those changes yourself. Don't mm -hmm. you think? Yeah. Oh, very much so. And the good thing about social media now is, you know, once you get in the, into the social media managers with, within these programs, you can really get down. So we, uh, we did like a few paid tests to see who our market was. And mm -hmm. it came in that between 27-year-old to 39-year-old males, 92%, red hair, drive Camaros, you know. The, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, I'm getting too fiddly now. But you could really nail down to exactly that demographic. 
yeah. you know, their, how much what they own, what they pay, what they're interested in, the movie styles they're after. You can really dig into those things and just target them so you're not wasting your one cent on, on the old granny in Nebraska. Do you know what I mean? You're really targeting it on that on that one person that may watch your movie. And, and if they is, don't watch your movie in T-Vod or P-Vod, they'll probably watch it in streaming. And if they don't want to watch it in streaming because they haven't got $14 to pay Netflix for the year, they'll go and watch oh, it on T-Vod for free. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it's somewhere down the line. Yeah. Uh, and do you ever um, – was it also part of your plan to start building – specific trailers like you you were mentioning before like how we had a trailer that went off to a horror site or Hmm. like are you going to be making segmented trailers for those segments on social media as well so where you know yeah let's make one for the guys that are 27 to 39 let's make one for the girls who are um you know med students yeah i don't know let's make if there was a med student one yeah we'll go for that that's right completely designing on the go so what we're doing i'm literally uh, evolving the trailers every few days, actually. And wow. uh, so w- w- we see the feedback online and on our, um, again, in the social media managers, you get to see, well, that one, only quarter million people looked at that one, but this one, 900,000 people looked at that one. Yeah. Then we looked at why. And then we go, well, okay, let's let's do another one. We'll use, we'll use this, the base of that one and we'll use our data that we got from YouTube and Apple and all that and go, well, we were number one on Apple for a whole two days. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now we we don't need to lie. Now we can actually say it. Let's put Apple number yes, one. Yes, Apple number one. Yeah. yeah, we can. You know what I mean? Because it, it happened. So yeah. Apple number one and Google Play number one and YouTube number one and all that sort of stuff. And all and that really took off. You know, because people now are going, it was number one. All right. So now we're riding off the hype of this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, people and testimonies. People love those things, you know, because it's someone else vouching for you. You yeah. know, with all five stars on Google Play, and you know, Tenet is four and a half. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, sort of like, um, I'm not even sure. I haven't even looked at these. Uh, I went, was on holidays, having a couple of drinks with Matt up on the island there. So, uh, Am I? <laughs> did he, I hope uh, I haven't read out of the bag. Maybe he wasn't supposed to be away. <laughs> no, I was. It's all good. Um, yeah, I'm just in there now, just in movies. Um, see more. So, uh, maybe genres. There we go. Genres. Or just, I'm just going to go to science fiction just for the hell of it. Uh, or an action and action adventure. There you go. So we yeah. So we're we're still number five on the top shelf of popular action adventure movies. That's great. That's yeah. incredible. And we're number two in action adventure. I mean, number one in sci-fi. So it's you know it's still hanging in there. Action thriller movies were number two next to Tenet. Once again, mixing all the genres has bought you something, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Because all these other movies in in science fiction, they're all family movies, right? There's Avengers, yeah. Tremors, Jurassic Park, Sonic, Spider Man, Wonder Woman, and Tenet. They're the ones yeah. I'm sitting in. So I'm the only R-rated one there at the moment. But the uh, yeah yeah anyway overall it's 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 all going to plan uh, and probably going a little bit better than I thought it would and, and I'm quite happy sharing this info with people because I want all filmmakers to learn by my mistakes <laughs> as I have oh no look I was just going to ask and um and obviously no don't answer if you don't want to but 
Um, what was the budget? Um, one point six Australian million dollars. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, one that you've done that you've done that for that kind of money. That is an, yeah. that's and incredible. You, I, I didn't pay myself, right? So it's not really fair. But that's the real cash we burned. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, everyone got paid except for me. So um, you know, all the, all the actors, all the three D people, all uh, all the locations, all everyone got paid. All the crew, yeah. they all got paid what they wanted, and um, and so I don't owe a cent to anyone, and I'm quite proud of that. Yeah, so it should be. About me trying to recoup now. Normally, the metric is how many visual effects houses you put out of business to finish your film. So this is <laughs> this is good. No, no. Look, I, I'm a big uh, I'm a big supporter of visual effects uh, post houses, and and I know how they work and why they work and how they make money, right? Uh, because I'm very, I, I know the way they make money, and and I and they're supposed to be able to do it this way. And I practically did it the same way they would do it, right? Because most mm-hmm. post houses do farm a lot of work out, yeah. you know, to you know places throughout Asia, Russia, India, all that sort of stuff, you know. So I pretty much did it the same way. But what I did is my decision making and post production is so much faster. Like I've got friends that work on a lot of Marvel yeah. movies, for instance. And they might have one shot with 30, opera, 30 guys on it and yeah. they might go back and forth to the shot a um, hundred times. Yeah. Well, I can get my shot approved in two or three times. Or maybe one time. Yeah. And from a, and because I did a lot of the a lot of compositing on this movie as well, mm. is I didn't have to argue. All I did was argue with myself. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so the, the thing was you know, the, the, the artists knew as well because we threw everything through Frame.io is when they saw that little green button, then they could then they were going to get paid. And yeah. they were keen as hell to see that little approve button turn on. And they knew that I knew post-production as well and they couldn't pull any silly tricks. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it, it was a case of uh, I'm happy to pay us, but let's let's make make sure that the model is amazing, make sure that, Everything, the lighting, we because we set up the lighting for them. I mm-hmm. went a lighting system, you know. Um, uh, my, my visual effects supervisor, uh, Rail Teague, that mm-hmm. I employed just for the job, and him and I designed the lighting type plan that, that went off to other guys that did lighting. We designed the way we were going to composite it. Uh, we didn't do multi layered, um, uh, multi layers of uh, 3D that came in as like 20 or 30 layers. We just made mm. one single EXR file that we rendered perfectly in the box that would fit directly into our scene, and all we had to do was grade it, which wow. saved thousands and thousands of hours by yeah, just making and, the perfect 3D model. Yeah, and and it saved you thousands and thousands of dollars as well. That's well, smart. actually the price we got, you know, from multiple shops was between three, two to three million dollars, and we did all the post production for our movie for. Four hundred and eighty-five thousand bucks. Yep. Wow. <laughs> right. Well, it yeah. it looks like a million dollars, as they say. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really... Hopefully, hopefully, it brings you a lot more because, um, yeah. yeah, it looks stunning. Stunning. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, you know, you, like I said, I didn't have the pressures behind me, so I had no excuse, right? And, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of directors they get they get. They've got to literally a fist up their ass most of the way through making movies. They've got to jump a lot of hoops. They've got to spin a lot of plates, and they've got to talk to a lot of people that don't need to be spoken to, right? 
and they are pressured from one end of that project to another. For me, I didn't have any pressure at all. So, so I there was no excuse for me not to do a good job. You know, the more pressure you put on a director, the fucking worse he's going to do. Yeah, right. He can't he can't do what he's great at because he's got ten other directors standing behind him. You know what I mean? With, that's cool. With different labels. Yes. Yeah. No, well, I am. Um, I am cognizant of your your fading time here, Mark. I and your son, your son, sitting downstairs. Yeah, yeah. he's going to have a bit of dinner with me, which is nice. <laughs> um, where Where can people watch uh, Monsters of Man? At the moment, everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, like yeah, Apple, Apple TV, uh, Google Play, YouTube movies, Amazon. If but you're do blah blah blah, yeah, there's tons of them. So uh, it's not hard. It's I think it's yeah, just type it in the Google into the into your browser. You'll find a, a a watchable version. You know, Vimeo on demand everywhere. It's like literally everywhere. Hmm. So uh, and where. Where's the best place for people to follow you personally, to follow your work and to stay in touch with what you're doing? Um, look, I put a lot of stuff on Instagram. Um, but yeah, Instagram, just Mark Toyer at Instagram, you'll find me pretty easily. Dean, what's your what's your Instagram or social following um, handles? It's uh, Frisky Said Like Whiskey with an A Cool on Instagram. I'm signing in now. <laughs> And I'm M. Jepsen, M-J-E-P-P-S-E-N at Instagram. That's probably the quickest way. Thank you again, Mark, for making the time. Thank you, Dean, for your insightful questions and for co-hosting this. And um, hope to chat with you guys again soon. Yeah, thanks, man. That's great. Thanks, Matt. It was good to see you. Let's have more beers. (laughs) 